0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, where for the first time all year, EJ, the Lions won a game. It's it's a victory week for the Lions. We can actually talk positively about them, literally for the first time since a year ago when they won their last game. Uh, it's going to be a weird show because we're kicking it off with uh, with Detroit finally getting off the schneid and and beating the vikings because of course they did and we're going to talk about a lot of other games as well all the news and notes around the league recapping week 13 looking ahead to week 14 it's going to be a long 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 show but before we get into it because we have a lot to discuss how are you and uh what are you drinking tonight
1: i'm good i'm probably not as good as the lions fans because lions fans this is your week we have not talked about your team a lot with good reason They've struggled. They've been close. Talked about some of the players. We've talked about some of the ups and downs and some of the other segments. Lions have not made three up. They won the game. First thing we texted each other was like, Lions are in three up. So we're going to talk about Lions. Plenty of other stuff to talk about. What am I drinking? Uh, I am full into winter beer season. This is a new brewery for me, Cascade Lakes Brewing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought the title was appropriate for a lot of teams in the NFL. This is their Slippery Slope. (laughs) winter ale um and it happens to be delicious i had one before the show did a little product testing um 6.4 by volume so not like super heavy 30 ibus for those of you that don't like the bitterness um but goes down really nicely so i i'm enjoying it but that's that's gonna be my beer what are you drinking
0: uh something a little bit proofier. this is my (laughs) 110
1: (laughs) 110 (laughs) proof
0: sagamore Uh, barrel Select Rye. Sagamore is one of my favorite rye. It's out of Baltimore. Uh, our funny story, it's owned by the same guy who founded Under Armour, because he's a whiskey guy. And they make a truly phenomenal rye, and uh, this is one of the proofiest ones they've got, and it's also one of my favorites. So so the takes are going to get good show.
1: towards the end of the show.
0: Yeah, that's why we saved uh, Pat's bills for later, because we're just going to let them fly. It's, it's going to be a long one. Um, before we get into 3Up, where we are going to talk about the Lions, I promise you we will talk about them. Uh, I want to thank Joel, who is our newest patron from this week. Welcome aboard. Thank you for the support. Thank you for believing in us. Remember, you're going to get uh, discounts on merch. As a patron, you get 20% discount on all merch, so you can go check out the store linked in the description below if you're so inclined, if you want to find anything there. Uh, also, remember, we're going to have a uh, patron roundtable if you're in the ring of honor or the hall of fame level that I believe tentatively is going to be January 8th because we couldn't find a Saturday that wasn't full of holiday stuff between now and then. So uh, January 8th, we're going to be doing a live Q and a just for people in those level of Patreon, uh, Patreon, excuse me. So if you're part of that level, look forward to that Mark your calendars. Uh, I think noon ish Pacific time is when we're thinking about doing it, but uh, we'll, we'll let you know closer to the date. So you can kind of plan for that. And uh, one more thing. We also have a (laughs) follow-up. I know I'm stretching it out for Lions fans here. We have a follow-up to uh, last week's note about the Cardinals being road warriors. They're undefeated on the road. It's even more crazy than we initially thought. They have also won all seven of those games now on the road by 10 points or more. First team since the 1968 Cowboys to accomplish that.
1: Big up to the Cardinals. Big thanks to Doug Farrar from USA Today's Touchdown Wire for bringing up that additional, very impressive piece of the stat. I mean, having an undefeated road record is—we gave him credit for that last week as being tops in the NFL. Realizing that they've basically done it by two scores—not basically, they have done it by two scores in every one of those games— they're putting the hammer down in other people's stadiums. Uh, And it's not like they're not winning games at home either. Some teams are strangely unbalanced like that. The Cardinals are really putting it down. And I don't know about you, but it feels like to me, and there was some buzz in the media about this, this week that they're not getting the same amount of credit. People are talking about the bucks. People are talking about the Packers. People were talking about the Rams until their slide started. You still don't, Kind of hear a lot of pro cardinals like cardinals belong cardinals are the front runners that they are by record but it just doesn't they haven't sort of generated that buzz yet to my ear. I
0: think it's because there's uh, a they're not the the largest market like Phoenix itself is a, is a pretty big market but in terms of like overall fan base footprint yada yada all that kind of stuff you know they're not going to hold a candle to the the Green Bay's the Dallas's the uh, I mean even I would say the Rams in LA just because it's LA like people don't pay uh, pay as much attention to what happens in Arizona sports even when they're really really good and I think you know lack of primetime exposure you know Kyler was uh, was out for a few weeks so he kind of dropped out of the MVP discussion so I think people also you know even though they were winning (laughs) they were winning with a backup quarterback and they were winning with no DeAndre Hopkins because their stars weren't in the game and you know people weren't seeing the fantasy numbers and the you know the highlights and everything like that, I think people just kinda like forgot that they were still steamrolling everybody, regardless of who was on the field. They didn't even have their coach for every game. I went to the game in Cleveland, which was also on the road, which they also won by multiple scores, and they didn't even have Cliff. He was out with COVID and they still beat the shit out of the Browns. So it's one of these juggernaut teams that is blessed by also being under the radar as a juggernaut which you don't see that often but I mean if I had to take a guess of who was going to be in the NFC championship game right now I would think that we're going to get a rematch between Arizona and Green Bay because they look like the two best teams
1: yeah I wouldn't rule Tampa out of that but um Arizona is tough to rule out at this point they're making plays on defense obviously Kyler's back still Kyler yes it was the Bears trust me I know But he looked healthy and healed. Was able to scoot when he needed to, pick up big scores with his feet in the way that only he could do it. And they look complete. They're getting contributions from James Connor. Um, The ghost of AJ Green is showing up at least once a (laughs) week. Uh, They just. Zach Ertz has made plays like they've. they've Zach Ertz was a really big addition for them we we can talk it like we're not we're not torturing you on purpose Lions fans we'll get to it but we just wanted to bring that up because not only are they undefeated on the road they've won all of them by two scores and again that hasn't happened since the late 60s so really impressive run by the Cardinals and and they deserve sort of your attention moving towards the playoffs because they're gonna they're a team built to make noise
0: and with that being said all right let's get into this game three up number one the Lions won a game and it they did it in the most Lions Vikings way you can imagine, where neither team looked like they really wanted to win that game. Like the Lions went up early. The the Vikings were were making just really inexplicable play-calling decisions and doing Vikings things like third and eight and running two smoke routes, two yards behind the line of scrimmage for whatever reason, then Kirk checking it down behind the line of scrimmage on third and eight and killing his own drive. And, you know, you got fourth and 10, you're calling jet protection, matching up a running back on a 280-pound defensive end and getting sacked for whatever reason. Like, they were doing Vikings things. Lions capitalized. Jared Goff made some beautiful throws, some of the best throws that I think he's made in a while, like multiple years. There was a seam ball to Hawkinson. That was just ridiculous. It was a bender uh, underneath a too high look. And, you know, Hawkinson took a beating on that play, but he hauled it in. And it was just a gorgeous ball. So they capitalized with a couple touchdowns, went up 20 to 7, I think, at halftime. And then they just let them hang around. They let the Vikings kind of back into the game. Next thing you know, it's the fourth quarter. And, you know, they they get a, another key stop on a, on fourth down where they called like a, a a movement pass on fourth and inches instead of just running the ball and golf got sacked because of course you're going to send pressure on fourth and one why not and then you know vikings get it back they score it's a two-point game and it, it, it just by the end of it by like the last half of the fourth quarter it looked like neither team um really had any sort of control whatsoever and it it was one of those, you know, last team to have the ball wins kind of things. And lucky enough for the Lions, for the first time in a while, they were actually able to, you know, kind of take control of their own destiny in the final minute of a game and win it. It's happened to them a lot this year, you know, where the other team has the ball and it's, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory type thing where they collapse late. The Ravens game is probably the best example of that they finally were able to flip the script you know, drive down with a minute left. Goff hit a touchdown on fourth and two because Camp Dancer, for whatever reason, sagged five yards into the end zone on fourth down. Just make a boneheaded play. But, um, you know, congrats to the Lions. Uh, a win that I've really wanted to see them get for a long time because I really love Dan Campbell as a human being. I think he deserved this win. You know, even though it was a sloppy, sloppy, sloppy game on both sides, as you might expect from from Vikings-Lions. It was still at least entertaining, and uh, I, for one, am happy that they will not go winless this year.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of guys playing really hard on that roster, and that is not always the case with a team that's this far in the hole. Lions are the worst team in the NFL, probably both in roster and in record, uh, which is not always the same thing.
0: Oh, I don't know. Houston's pretty bad.
1: Yeah, I Houston. It's close. He, <laughs> I think Jacksonville has a better <laughs> roster. Their record is only slightly better. You could say they're actually underachieving for their roster, but they've been close several times and that team is still playing hard. Like that roster is still absolutely competing. We saw that this week again. You mentioned it. They've been really close several times and have not been able to finish it up. It was really cool to see him finish it up. It was also really cool because people will go back and watch this game. I went back and watched this game after the fact and people will see those performances, right? People will see those players playing their butt off. People will see them making the effort that they are for Dan Campbell. You said you love Dan Campbell as a human being. It was obvious after this win. Jared Goff sprinted to the sideline. First person he hugged was Dan Campbell. You know, you could tell that they were just elated that all the work they've put in finally came out to win but one of the interesting things about this game is that Goff started off not warm which is typical and then as you said he heated up he started hitting he hit that seam throw to hawkinson he hit another one to brock wright and people started on twitter saying is is jared goff dealing like is this jared goff dealing and it was and then he fell off like you said they allowed the vikings in the second half to hang around But Jared Goff, for all his heroics earlier in the game, and of course on the last play of the game, there was a stretch there in the late fourth quarter where he tried to pitch this game to the Vikings and they just wouldn't take it. Like Jared Goff tried to hand this back to Minnesota, and it's not going to be a popular narrative because everybody's like, Lions win, right? They deserved it. And it's true, but like, I think what you said about neither team really wanting to grab on and take this was exceptionally true in this game because the Vikings played down to their competition. Not a surprise if you're a Vikings fan. That's a very typical thing for Minnesota to do. And the Lions tried to pitch it right back. It was like ping pong, like, no, we don't want it either. And they did make the play when it counted in the final. Yes, boneheaded play by Dantzler. No reason to sag that deep past the goal line on the only thing you're protecting for the whole rep. But credit Goff, he saw it. He threw it before that happened. Right? He threw it before that was received that receiver was across the goal line. And he fit it in there. Like big mistake, but he capitalized. That's what quarterbacks have to do. So credit to Detroit, credit to the Lions, credit to all those players on the roster, some of who we're going to talk about in a little bit, who've been playing hard the whole time and getting absolutely zero press. It finally pays off and they get a victory.
0: And they got contributions from, you know, basically like the whole island of misfit toys you got charles harris getting a couple sacks making a a great move kind of like a like a it's not really like a speed to power it's like a an inside out you know bull jerk move that he got a sack on just uh, he he's really kind of grown as a player and almost having like a a mid or late career renaissance as a pass rusher kind of becoming uh more than he was in Miami you know people kind of labeled him as a bust and I guess maybe relative to expectations yeah you could say he's a bust but I I do think that he's had a lot of really nice plays uh in his time in Detroit and I think you look at their entire edge rotation with Aquara and Harris like they've got some dudes that I think you know you they don't have like the 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 Bosa they don't have the Miles Garrett but they've They've got some dudes there that can make some plays for you. So I do want to give a shout out to Harris. Uh, You know, your guy, Jerry Jacobs, rookie, undrafted
1: corner. Yeah, this guy caught both our eyes. He caught yours on the screen. He blew up. And I I think it's been a it's become almost a trope that on bootleg shot of the week, we have the blown up screenplay. Well, early in the game, Jerry Jacobs was the guy on the Detroit team that triggered, blew up a Viking screenplay. I was like great play. And then couple quarters later, again, he did it again. Again, great play by a corner, smaller guy, compact, good build. Um, and I was like, Jerry Jacobs, Jerry Jacobs, who is this guy? And I look him up and he's a rookie. And I'm like, now I'm, did I study this guy? Like, and then I look and he was an undrafted free agent out of Arkansas. I was like, nope, I definitely didn't study him. Spent <laughs> most of his career at Arkansas State 2018 and 2019. Transferred to Arkansas his senior year. So that's why I didn't see him. Big credit to the Lions staffing and scouting organization that said, hey, there's something here. Like, small school guy that transferred into the SEC for his last year. We like him. He's, you know, maybe just got sifted out in the process. This guy can play. He had three or four really instinctual impact plays around the line of scrimmage stood out to me and there's a bunch of players like you said on the lines that are like that Derek Barnes a guy we both liked out of the senior bowl this year triggered and made some great plays against the run big TFL with the Vikings driving like like you said there are some guys here and what I love to see is that Aaron Glenn is getting the most out of these guys a guy like Jerry Jacobs has a bright future under a guy like Aaron Glenn who knows how to use him and you know, the arrows pointing up for those guys. And that's, that's just good news. If you're a Detroit fan, are you there yet? No, you know, it's going to take another year. It's definitely going to take a change at quarterback, but you have a foundation that they're building and that's exciting.
0: The one thing I'll say with the lions, you know, you mentioned foundation, the culture seems really good. Like you see that locker room after the game, you know, how excited everybody was for Dan Campbell. Like these guys have fought and fought and fought every single week, and they've lost almost every single week. They got so close against the Steelers, and that ended up in a really gross tie in the overtime that shall not be mentioned again. But they've just come so close so many times, and for them to finally get over that hump and get a win, and you know, you saw how much it meant to everybody in that room, how much they really wanted Dan Campbell uh, to get that win, i think it's a testament to uh to the culture he's building there and it i'm not going to say that they're going to have the same you know year two pop but doesn't it kind of feel like it did with brian flores early in miami where they were just getting beat up every single week you know dropping 50 burgers on them and they, they were on pace to like maybe be the worst team in nfl history and then you know back half of the year like they never gave up and they were playing hard every single week and they started to get some wins and you saw them really believe and next thing you know the the very next year they've got a top 10 defense and they're a really really good program it kind of went off the rails a little bit the beginning of this year but they've won five games in a row because again the culture that brian flores built in miami they never stopped fighting they believe in their coach they bought into their coach and now they're in position to maybe make a playoff push despite starting like 1 and 7 which you virtually never see but when your culture is good you can do that kind of stuff. And so I think Dan Campbell's role as a, as a culture builder and you know keeping his locker rooms from giving up I think in the long term that's going to be really good for Detroit because this is not going to be a short-term rebuild and they're going to need that kind of culture in place to make use of all of the talent that hopefully they're going to bring in pretty soon here.
1: Yeah. And it's that marriage between the culture, which was absolutely necessary. It needed to change. And they believe that Campbell is the guy to do that. And then the marriage with the GM, Brad Holmes, we talked about him after the draft is having a terrific draft. Uh, Lynn McNeil had a big uh, face mask that didn't get called <laughs> pressure. <laughs> um, on was uh, on Rike. Uh, you know Barnes we talked about like there's a lot of guys and then they're even bringing in UDFAs like Cherry Jacobs so you know Holmes is is refilling the cupboard which was absolutely necessary after the Patricia era Campbell is keeping them together getting them to play hard Aaron Glenn brings in a system that lets guys play fast play to their strengths be aggressive and you're starting to see a lot of the players that we liked even um, and some of those guys aren't there like Jeff Akuda. Right? Jeff Akuda had a great camp and we all we were super excited about him under Aaron Glenn. He hasn't even played this year because he ended up getting injured. Um, but uh warrior like had a bunch of plays in this game. Like, there's a bunch of guys that we like on that defense, and it is foundational stuff, and it's two sides working together: the coaching, and the scouting department saying, these are our guys, just like they did in Miami. I think Flores is a really good, Chris career, really good example of saying, these are our guys, getting rid of the guys they didn't want, bringing in guys that fit the program, the profile, the way they want to play. And you start to see it build. And if Holmes has another draft like he did last year and they get a quarterback, got to get a quarterback in this league. We've talked about that at length. This program could turn around, Pretty sharply. Like it's not going to be, it's already not an easy out. They've played a lot of people tough this year. They haven't come away with many victories, only one, but they could have had several others, including the Pittsburgh game. But next year, it feels like this team, with a little bit more on offense, a couple more playmakers, and hopefully a quarterback, which they can get. They got plenty of draft capital. It's not going to be fun to play the Lions. They're going to play you tough. You know, they're going to bite your kneecaps. And if they can (laughs) score a few more points, they're not going to be the pushovers that they've been for four years now, right? At least, if not a whole lot longer, if you're talking to Lions fans. This is a program that's building, and this is the first sort of blink of, yeah, and I'm just super glad that it was in division. Like, it could have been, they could have beat the Texans, and, you know, would have been fine, right? But they beat somebody in their own division that is a couple of steps above them. And that's, that's going to last for these guys. That's a big deal.
0: And I'm, I'm happy that it was at home in front of their own fans and they got to hear the cheers. They got to hear the horns. You know, it's, it's something that stadium has needed for a long time, especially this week of all weeks with the tragedy that happened at Oxford. Like, that, that community needed it so bad. For so many reasons, and uh, I'm happy they got it. Me too. This week's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon, creators of the Daily Wear system. Now that we're full swing into the holiday season, there's a lot of reasons to get yourself some nice new clothes. Whether it's office parties or get-togethers with family, or you just kind of want to hang out on the couch and, you know, watch the game like we all like to do on Sundays, Mac Weldon has literally everything that you could ask for. And, of course, with the Daily Wear system, everything in the Mack Weldon catalog is designed to work together for really any occasion. I, myself, have been heavily leaning on the Ace sweatshirts and sweatpants lately because it's finally dropped below 60 in California. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of freezing temperatures by my standards, but they also have a lot of heavier stuff. They have the Storm Chaser jacket if you happen to live somewhere where it gets really wet. Obviously, in California out here, rain is kind of like a foreign concept to me, but for the rest of the country, the Storm Chaser is actually a pretty nice jacket and also a great gift idea, too. So whether you're trying to buy some really nice, new, comfortable clothes for yourself or buying them for somebody you love this holiday season, you should really check out what Mac Weldon has to offer, and of course, if you like anything in their catalog and you do want to get it, you can use promo code bootleg at macweldon.com/bootleg, and that will give you 20% off your first order. Again, that is promo code bootleg at macweldon.com/bootleg for 20% off your first order. Thank you again to Mac Weldon for supporting us, and with that being said, let's get back to the show. All right, three up, number two here. We've got uh, Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. And this is a game that I think you and I have probably had circled on our calendar for pretty much this entire year because who doesn't want to see two young stud quarterbacks go at it, especially in a game that has massive, massive you know, playoff seeding implications because the entire AFC is a total shit show and everybody's kind of crammed together. This one was important. And at least for me, I think it delivered. Uh, obviously, the score ended up being a little bit wider than maybe we expected, but I still felt like uh, there was a lot of opportunities for the Bengals to make this a, quote-unquote, closer game than it was. You know, there was some unfortunate stuff that happened. There was the Jamar Chase, you know, deflection off his hands on a perfect ball from Burrow that just turned into an interception, which, if you ask me, that shouldn't be counted as an interception for Burrow, but... It will be. I mean, it is as good of a throw as you can possibly make. And it just went south for him. And, um, you know, they they had some other opportunities that they generated. There was the fumble return from Jesse Bates that set them up in good field position. And like the game was a, a two or three point game in the second half. Like the Bengals clawed their way back in this thing after going down like 24 to six early on. And then the Chargers just kind of pulled away because uh, (laughs) we've said it before. We'll say it again. Justin Herbert's a cheat code. Like he just does stuff that other people can't do. Joe Burrow included, you know, made some throws in this game that uh, it seems like the number gets smaller. Every time we do this, it used to be like, oh, maybe like seven or eight guys in the league can do that. Oh, Maybe like five guys in the league can do that. He made a throw in this game, like outside far hash to the end zone, went like 60 yards in the air on a line. It's less than 5 guys that can do that. It's like 2. And he's slowly getting up into that echelon of quarterback where it's it's hard to compare him to anyone because of everything he brings to the table. The arm, the mobility, the decision making. Like, yes, I know the Chargers have been very inconsistent overall as a team this year, but when you look at Justin Herbert go to work in the quote-unquote good weeks, you can't stop him. He's one of those guys now that I would qualify as like literally not stoppable when he's in his groove. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: You no, know, there's a lot of defenders that are are just sort of wagging their heads at what he can do. And there's a lot of NFL analysts like us that are looking at that every week. And it feels like there are just certain players that like every week we talked about Trent last, last week mm-hmm. as, as being one of those guys in San Francisco that like... Every week he does something and you go, whatever, like that's (laughs) not like even for the best athletes, you know, some of the best athletes on the planet. That's not possible. You can't do that. Like his peers don't do that. And that's this echelon that Herbert has ascended to where you look at everybody else in the NFL that are the best of the best in terms of quarterbacks on the planet. And he does something and you're like, no, nobody else can do that. Like, that's ridiculous. We said, dem- I said demigod cheat code a couple weeks ago on this show. And Robert Mays this weekend called him a warlock. And I was like, wow, that's way more elegant, right? He just <laughs> and does. accurate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just does things that look like magic. Because you can't wrap your head around it. It's not possible. So you go, uh, I did he break the laws of physics there? I guess he, it seems like he did. Like, that's, that's not a thing. And the reason the Bengals weren't able to compete is we this could have gone the other way right if we this was our must watch game of the week because of the two young quarterbacks because of the implications in the season and if the score was the other way we wouldn't have been surprised like if burrow and chase had got on a roll and Mixon had got going and the chargers defense had not shown up like the bengals could have rolled the chargers the reason that the chargers won this game was the defense showed up to play they put the Bengals under pressure early and Los Angeles didn't limit Herbert to throws within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage like they on them go
0: downfield mm-hmm. you can
1: almost look at the the throw chart just the throw chart and say did they win or not and if it's that scatter shot stuff all within 10 yards with like one shot down the field they probably lost And if it's a whole bunch of long green arcs down the field, you're like, they probably won. They let Herbert eat, and he probably skewered somebody. And this week, his average depth of target was like 10 or 11. Like, it was deep. And it was not the profile from the games that they've lost. And so that's that combination. Chargers defense coming to hunt, putting Burrow and that offense under pressure early. And then letting Herbert off the chain, and Herbert gets to be Herbert. And the combination is the reason that LA pulled away and the Bengals couldn't keep up.
0: And I, I think that, you know, what it's possible the, the Chargers coaching staff is afraid of if, is they're deathly afraid of turning over the ball. And they are going to, there's naturally going to be some picks as mm-hmm. your average depth of target goes up, the, the completion percentages go down, and the number of things that can go wrong goes up. Every yard further you get down the field. And, you know, Herbert threw a pick in this game where Chidobie Wouzier made a r- absolutely ridiculous play <laughs> on the ball, recovering and, and kind of snatching it away, I think, from, uh, was it Keenan Allen? Or, or, uh, or, no, Palmer's, Josh Palmer, that's what it was. And, like, that's going to happen. It was third and 25. He stretched the field. Consider it an arm punt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But taking the chances in the first place because you have a guy like Justin Herbert is what allows those 40, 50, 60 yard touchdowns to happen in the first place. And on the whole, you're going to get more of the touchdowns than you're going to get the picks. And so I think they just they need to believe that and they need to. I don't want to say go full Kansas City because you never want to go full Kansas City uh, if you if you don't have all of the things that made Kansas City special but they at least need to go a little bit further in that direction where it's like hey we are going to stretch the field we are going to ride or die with our quarterback if we turn the ball over we turn the ball over but we believe that no matter what we're still going to hit a lot more than we miss and I think if they can just lean into that they are a threat to not even kidding the entire AFC if they can do that
1: yeah I agree and part of what Kansas city knew was if one of those picks puts us in the hole, it's okay. Cause the guy we got back there can score from anywhere. And that's the sort of balance is if you let that open, you, you have to kind of let it like, maybe like you said, not all the way open, but you have to believe you can't believe just until it goes wrong and then shut it down because then you're, you're limiting your chance to come back. With mm-hmm. a guy like Herbert. And that was the thing is, even if Kansas City was down, you know, as recently as last year, two scores, you know, you were like, it doesn't matter. It's Mahomes. Like, does he have more than two minutes, four minutes? Like, he can totally yeah. come back if you let him keep. It's like shooter shooting basketball, right? And that guy goes and your best three point shooter goes in a slump, and you're like, well, You know, now the game's close. We're going to have to shut you down. Well, that's what he does. Like, you know, and Herbert can rip the ball 50 yards at any time on a line over a defender and set up a score. So you have to let him do it. And if him doing that gets you down a little bit, you got to kind of just keep cranking him up at the three point line, because again, he's so good. He's going to convert some of those and he's going to pull you out of that hole. But I, I know that's a tough hump for that coaching staff to get over is just like, well, we did the bad thing. So we're just going to take another chance and maybe we can do the bad thing again. Like I understand that reticence, but it's almost like cutting off your nose to spite your face. If you get conservative after he throws a deep pick, you're limiting your chance to come back in that game.
0: Uh, I also want to say this, the Bengals, if if they play this game again in the playoffs, which it's possible they will, Mm -hmm. it's possible that both teams make it. If they play this game again in the playoffs, I think there's a decent chance it goes the other way, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. because this felt like one of those games where like three plays created a multiple touchdown swing here between turnovers and sacks and everything like that. Like this game felt so much closer than the scoreboard. And I do think if we get a rematch, it's very possible that Cincinnati wins that game. And I think they know that, too. I I don't think that they're hanging their head off to this one saying, ah, we can't hang with the rest of the AFC. Like, no, I I think they know, like, shit, we were we were so close. Even what the scoreboard says, we were so close. So hopefully we do get a rematch, because at least for me, I thought it was a really entertaining game.
1: It was absolutely an entertaining game. And I think to your point, Burrow is one of those guys already, and he's going to continue to be even more so this way. He's really tough to beat twice in a row. Yeah. Like he's yeah. a smart guy, he's super talented. We've talked about that at length, but he's really competitive and he just doesn't forget. Like he's not going to miss twice. And again, one of them wasn't his fault. Perfect pass. And there we saw a bunch of those. That was almost a trend this weekend in the NFL is all these crazy throws that were right in receivers hands. And instead of just like trying to catch them and drop them, they went huh, 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 and tipped them up and then the defense capitalized. We saw it three or four times this weekend. And that just probably doesn't happen again for the Bengals. And if that's like a long scoring play to chase, like this game's very different early on. And I don't think you're going to get Burrow to bend twice in the same way.
0: If people don't understand how close NFL games are, there's 80 snaps or, or whatever, an entire game, sometimes more. Four of them are usually what end up mattering the most. You simulate this game 10 times and you you will not you will not get a repeat of the results. Um, three up number three. This one was actually I, I considered throwing this in three interesting, but I wanted to put in three up because even though the Seahawks are more than likely out of the playoff race, I know mathematically they're not, but realistically they are. I did want to talk about the Seahawks bouncing back this week and you know putting up 30 points for the first time in a while and having a a decent offensive performance for the first time since Russ has come back from his finger injury, because I, I've been doing a lot of work on this offense over the last week and a half, working on a film room episode on this topic. And some of the things that I've found with this offense are, I guess, both encouraging and concerning at the same time, because they're concerning, but they're encouraging because they're not that hard to fix. And when I look at the, the discourse around, is it time to get rid of Russ? Is it time to get rid of Pete and, and Schneider? And, you know, how is Shane Waldron doing? The offense hasn't been great. Is it his fault? All, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it kind of feels like the blame is mixed among so many different people that it's really hard to kind of pinpoint what the root causes are. And for me, after all the research that I've done, all the tape that I've watched, I've charted uh, 80% of the snaps that they've taken on offense this year so far. I'm uh, going to get to 100% by the end of tomorrow. And I, I I had this feeling about like what was going on, so I reached out to Ben Baldwin, who's a Seahawks guy, and he's a, a huge in the analytics community, and he was like, look, I have all these stats, and I have all these hunches based on tape, and I've, I've taken thousands and thousands of words of notes at this point over the last week and a half. Here's what I think is happening, but I can't find any data that corroborates my feelings. Do you know where I can find this? And my overall thought was this, and luckily he did have the data that actually showed, hey, I was actually kind of right about this, and I'm going to do the film room on it. (laughs) But overall, here's, here's the overall trend of what's been happening this year. So the Seahawks overwhelmingly, when they're under center, they run the ball. It's a a run split of like 76% running the ball. They've only thrown 46 passes from under center the entire season with Russell Wilson, I should say. With Geno, they had some too, but Russell's the part that matters here. They've only thrown 46 passes from under center. 100% of those with Russ have been off play action. So they don't have any drop back pass game from under center with Russell Wilson. They only throw it without play action when they're in shotgun, which makes them obviously a little bit more predictable. The problem is because you have a 76% run pass split from under center and all of their passes are deep shots off play action, teams realize, oh, let's just run blitz. Let's just throw bodies at the line of scrimmage because all of their passes from under center are long developing, so we have a better chance of getting there if we're just throwing a nickel off the edge that's going to come unblocked. Or, you know, if we're just throwing bodies at the line of scrimmage, if it is a run, we'll stop it. And they're averaging like 3.8 yards per carry from under center. Compare that to their shotgun runs where there's a little bit more ambiguity. It's a 65% pass split versus run. So they're more likely to pass out of shotgun, but it's a little bit more balanced. They're getting five yards of carry from shotgun. But the problem is their offensive line is so bad that they can't do any long developing passing plays out of shotgun because they can't protect that long. So if they want to go deep down the field, they have to be under center. But if they want to run the ball, they have to be under shotgun. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a really bad mix here And the root cause to me is the offensive line is bad because if you can't also be successful at running the ball from under center, then the passing part doesn't really matter that much. And so what you get is this, this team that they're only getting chunk plays on early downs because of that play action pass game. But if they're not getting those chunks, they're so bad at passing from the shotgun or rather I should say. They're so average at passing from the shotgun that when they get behind the chains, they can't claw out of that hole, which is why their third down uh, conversion rate is like 31st in the league or whatever it is at this point. So all of these things are kind of converging at the same time. You know, do you want to blame Pete? Do you want to blame Russ? Because he was inaccurate coming back from the finger. Do you want to blame the O-line? Do you want to blame Schneider? Do you want to blame Waldron? And the answer is yes, they all have their own kind of part to play in this, But at the same time, if the offensive line was better and they could be more unpredictable on offense, you know, and I don't think necessarily think this is Waldron's fault, I don't really think that we would be talking about blowing up the roster right now. And of course, if Russ didn't get hurt, we definitely wouldn't be talking about blowing up the roster right now. They'd probably be in playoff contention because the NFC' is not that great. Other than the top few teams, so I, I'm kind of at a crossroads here, seeing what they're doing this week against a tough Niners team that's had success. You're putting up 30 points. You know, you're you're leaning into the quick game, and you're not trying to throw it deep off play action. You're just, you know, letting Russ spread them out and you know get four year four yards here, five yards there. You're leaning into that, and it's working. And I'm conflicted because. I know that they're going to win some games in the back half of this year. They're playing Detroit. They're playing Houston. They've got some division games. Like, I I know they're going to win. And there's going to be this sentimental, like, they're close. Let's run it back. It's fixable. Let's run it back. But at the same time, I don't trust them to do the main thing that needs to be done to fix their problem, which is fix the offensive line. That's been an issue for a decade now. It's always been an issue. They still can't fix it. So I still feel like they're going to need to be blown up because until that part is fixed, I almost don't care what happens with everything else. And I just don't trust them to get the picks right.
1: Yep. (laughs) That's the thing. (laughs) As you get through all that, which is a really cool look at how... A little bit uh, about like what we talked about in Detroit but expanded to include play calling offensive play selection and the quarterback right so you're talking about GM you're talking about coach you're talking about OC and you're talking about quarterback and you're talking about that web between those four elements and how they play nice together or don't but you get down to but the roster's limiting right that the sort of key boil down or distilled point out of all that is the roster is limiting what they can do and specifically the roster on the offensive line the talent on the offensive line and the development of talent on the offensive line is not right and they haven't gotten it right for a long time you you mentioned that as well we're talking about a decade now and don't really trust schneider with the picks since Legion of Boom Time. He's always going to go way off script. His value is going to be very different than the rest of the league. And he hasn't made enough of those pay out where you just go, do whatever you want, John. You're playing with house money. He's not playing with house money anymore if you look at the roster. And so, do you trust that brain trust between Pete and John in the personnel mix to be able to? to to pull off a of Kansas City from last off season and say hey the reason we got smoked in the Super Bowl was the offensive line wasn't good we're going to we're going to throw stones at the offensive line and just build it up because we know we need more than enough right and my answer is uh uh-uh. uh historically they would have to they would have to zag pretty hard uh from the course they've taken on the offensive line to do that they just haven't prioritized it they've said Russell bail us out and that has been their organizational philosophy. I'm not even kidding. Like, we're not going to invest because we have an all-pro quarterback and we're going to, we're basically going to put our money in our hopes there. And he can get away from those guys that break through the terrible protection we're providing. And that's coming due to a point where the offense doesn't function now because you're too predictable. You can't change it up. And the sort of end-to-end result, the 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 way distilled result is you're throwing it to DK once a half because DK is a great deep ball receiver and you don't have enough time to get him deep and have Russ throw clean. And that's like the canary in the coal mine on the reverse end for me is like you have a great deep ball receiver who has his efficiency metrics when he's targeted are like second in the NFL, but he's getting like one target a half, which is basically a starvation diet for a guy like DK. But it's, again, the physical roster limitations of the ability to really leverage his strengths. You just can't get it to him. I'm like, well, then you need to do something to get it to him, right? You need to go into that core, fix the offensive line, give them three seconds so that Rush can launch one of those moon balls. Because DK is going to come down with it more than half the time, well more than half the time. And those plays are going to move your offense down the field, but they can't do it.
0: That might be the most negative three up segment we've ever done, but I just wanted to talk about. Maybe how, you started it. <laughs> I, I mean, they looked good this week, and they showed that they can adjust and and you know make do with what they've got. But at the same time, I look at this week and I say, like, is that sustainable with the underlying issues? And it's it's tough. Like I. I know they're going to win some games in the back half because Russell's getting healthier and everything like that, and you know maybe they figured out a way to temporarily kind of figure a way to be productive, but they're still only going to win six, seven games, so it's not like everything's golden, and I still feel like regardless of what happens in the last four weeks here or whatever is left, uh, you're still going to have to make some tough decisions, and if not now, when? And uh, with that being said... Let's get to three down number one and uh, one of the other, the great mysteries of the NFL this week or really the last little while that I cannot figure out
1: (laughs) last half of the season.
0: Last half of the season. That's just what the Jags are doing with James Robinson. Who's, you know, in both of our opinion, like one of the, the better young running backs in the league. Like he came in as a, as an undrafted star, You know, kind of came out of, quote unquote, nowhere uh, as a rookie and immediately took over that backfield. And I I personally thought he was a really, really damn good NFL player and thought that he was going to be one of these gems that, you know, a team gets for literally no money and then builds an offense around or at the very least just, you know, gives him a featured role, especially with a young, you know, first overall quarterback coming in you know, maybe give him a reliable ground game, make things easier for his development. And then they go and draft another running back in the first round who unfortunately got hurt. And, you know, it's, it almost feels like they just haven't wanted to use James Robinson since this staff even got there. And now we're at the point where he's injured, you know, he's got the injury where every single week it's a will he play, won't he play? And, So he's playing hurt at a minimum. And then he fumbles from Aaron Donald making a a crazy play and ripping the ball out as he slams him to the ground, which this is a guy that doesn't usually fumble, but hey, Aaron Donald does Aaron Donald things. And he gets benched for 30-year-old Carlos Hyde, and you're like, great, they just found a reason to to keep him off the field again because apparently they just don't like him very much. And then, you know, you're kind of thinking like, okay, if, if he's hurt, Or rather, if he's playing hurt and that's a reason why you're keeping him off the field, why are you activating him in the first place? And then they throw him in in like the last two minutes to get him some carries and it's like, okay, well, so was he benched or not benched? Like, Are you just giving him garbage time carries to get out of this game rather than giving them to Carlos Hyde who only had, you know, I think like 10 carries in this game anyway? So it's like, so is he, is he your RB2 now? even though he's better and younger and more explosive than Carlos Hyde because he fumbled, even though he's clearly the better option? Or, or like, what the fuck is going on here? Is he hurt or is he not hurt? Is he benched or is he not benched? What is happening? And then, you know, you you got Jacksonville media asking questions, and Urban Meyer is saying, oh, no, that's that's up to the, the running back coach. He determines who gets carries and who doesn't get carries. So what the hell? And so the media followed up and said, okay, well, do you agree that it was a good idea to give Carlos Hyde more carries after a fumble than James Robinson if, quote unquote, being hurt wasn't the reason? And he's like, no, I agree with you. That was probably a bad idea. So it's like, what the fuck? You're the head coach. So is he hurt or is he not hurt? Is he your number one? Is he or not? Like, who's who's making the determination that he's going to be on the field or not be on the field? And if you're the head coach and you're giving all that power to the running back coach, do you not have the ability as the head coach to lean over and say, hey, give James some carries, he's better than Carlos Hyde. Or if you're losing 37-7 to 7 and you have an injured running back, maybe let Carlos Hyde finish the game rather than exposing him to more you know, punishment. So I can't figure out what the hell's going on here. If he's hurt or if he's not hurt, if he's benched or if he's not benched, even the Jags don't know. It's the weirdest storyline I've seen this week, and I I have no answers for it. I got one.
1: Urban Meyer. (laughs) This is what it looks like when a staff with a college mindset handles pro players. Right?
0: Where you you mess up once and they got to put their dick on the table and show you who's boss.
1: Yeah. And... You know, when you're dealing with 18, 19, 20 year old kids or young men, you can do things that are punitive. You can say, hey, man, you fumble. I've got four, four stars behind you waiting for playing time. Go sit and think about what you've done. Right. Or, oh, you're injured. I want to see how tough you are because I'm a college hedge coach and I have unlimited power. There is no players union. You're not getting paid. People will forget your name in six months. If I run you out of here or get you blown up, right? There are no repercussions in college. I'm not saying college coaches do that stuff on purpose all the time or that college coaches are bad people. I'm not trying to make that generalization, but that stuff goes on in college, right? And it sort of feels like this random back and forth you would get between Oh, is he hurt? Let's see how tough he is. Oh, did you fumble? I told you not to fumble. You're on the bench. Like I'm going to bring in this other guy that I'm really familiar with. And it started when they drafted Travis HN, right? We were like, huh? Like, are they going to play him wide receiver? Is this guy a sort of hybrid weapon? Why would you be drafting a running back with your other first round pick when you have Robinson there? Like it was just a question mark. We sort of went, huh? Well, we'll have to see how this plays out. Well, HN gets hurt. And at that point you kind of figure, okay, well the most established and productive and, you know, at that point, healthy running back, you've got on your roster is going to be a massive leader for this team and carries and production and target share and whatever else you want. Right. And that didn't happen. Like Hyde was splitting and there was this up and down and Now there's this weirdness between, wait, he's hurt, but you're playing him and you're playing him in garbage time. That's the real kicker. Like that's a, that's a sort of doghouse college thing to do. Oh, Hey, we're getting blown out 52 to zero. Go on, go take your licks. Right. I don't want this other guy getting like that stuff. It just feels like college holdovers coming into the pros and it doesn't fit. Like you have limited rosters in the pros. You've got a players association, uh, you know, you've got a practice squad, you got to manage, you got all that stuff and all this sort of, like you said, dick measuring contest stuff about I'm the head coach and I know or uh, the whole shuffling under the bus of the running back coach was really weird. Most NFL head coaches who have been around a long time, uh, I think about like Ron Rivera's of the world, like you do not see Ron Rivera on the podium going well. I don't know, the running back coach decided whatever was screwed up. Like, they don't do that, right? And there's a reason that they don't do that, and that's one of the reasons they've been around a long time. So this whole sort of wishy-washy flip-flop seems punitive, doesn't make a ton of sense based on what you're saying seems like it might be more disciplinary than actual like what's good for the football team or the player certainly it seems like the play what's best for the player either in terms of production or health is like the last consideration and that feels very large college program where you have an assembly line of 3 and 4 stars and you can just run them out and you you don't really care the same way because they're They're fungible. They're replaceable, right? I've got three more behind you. Well, that's not really the case with pro rosters. So it seems like the basis for this decision-making is what Urban Meyer learned in college, and he hasn't yet learned in the pros. It doesn't work like that, especially not for a position like running back.
0: I mean, James Robinson, despite not getting used nearly as much as he should, and despite also, again, being banged up, still averaging five yards a carry still on pace for like 11, 1200 yards this year. If they actually used him like he was supposed to be used, if he's healthy again, that's what we can't figure out. Is he hurt or is he not? Is he your best player or is he not? Let's just say he is their best player because on tape, I mean, how could, how could you look at Carlos Hyde and look at James Robinson and think they're the same? They're just not. If he's healthy enough to get usage and you're not using him, that's coaching malpractice. And if you're so far behind that the only time you're using him is when you're losing by 30 in the last two minutes of a game, rather than just running your third running back out there to close out the clock, that's also coaching malpractice. It feels like every single week Urban Meyer does something that makes no sense at the NFL level, and only makes sense if you're the head coach of a college program where you have access to a far more resources and a better recruiting pool than anybody you're going to play, where you could just out-talent everybody. He coaches like that, where he just expects to be able to out-talent people like he did for the last decade of his life. And when he's actually at a talent deficit for the first time since he was at Utah, it feels like he kind of lost his juice. He lost his ability to, you know, coach his way out of a phone booth. Like we just saw Bill Belichick do this week, throwing three times in a game and still winning. Like good coaches can do that. I don't think Urban Meyer can do that, at least not anymore. And uh, if this, you know, James Robinson is, is only one example here of many examples of, of things that, that I think Urban's done wrong this year, but, it just It's one more thing that I point to that makes me think he should be a one-and-done. Because I, I really don't want Trevor Lawrence to be wasted. And I feel like right now we are heading down a path where he's going to get wasted if things don't get changed really quick. And I really hope that Shad Khan takes that into consideration.
1: Me too. And I feel like this is a bit of a litmus test for coaching decisions. And I think the management of your running back room is probably one of the easier decisions you have to make. You would think so. (laughs) This should be down on your list. Like developing Trevor or any rookie quarterback is hard. Uh, we've seen that over and over. We have lots of proof of that in the NFL. It is a very difficult task. So if you screwed that one up as your first year as a rookie head coach, uh, in the NFL, I might give you a pass if you're making progress, but like Absolutely mismanaging your running back room when you have a great running back who is should clearly be your lead back seems odd. This, this should be the layup. This is like bricking a layup, right? And it makes me think, oh, you're probably not going to be able to hit that mid range jumper with somebody's hand (laughs) in your face because you can't hit an open layup. Which is if Robinson's healthy, you play him a lot, if Robinson's not healthy. You don't play him until he is. And then you play him a lot. Like, this is pretty simple decision tree. And if you can't get this one right, I'm really, I have very little confidence that you can get the harder ones right. And you have many harder ones. I mean, Jacksonville is not a two-issue team. Uh, so I don't I don't have a lot of faith in Urban Meyer. And I don't have a lot of faith in Sean Khan either, um, given his decision log since he took over as owner of the jaguars and their relative success or lack thereof since um it feels like he's still finding his way around and he uh, means well i'll give him that but i agree that it hasn't been i great. F- fully agree but you know what it feels like to me it feels like the way mm. cleveland used to feel right when it was mm every year you're hopping to another thing you can't stick with the program you're injecting yourself as the owner into football matters right you feel like you need to have a presence and be the voice even though you're not sure you know the best and then you're leaning on people who you think know but it turns out they don't know and then you have to recycle the whole thing like you just don't have that vision and that like all changed in cleveland right they went okay owners brought in football people said you do this you don't hardly ever even hear hear the owner's name anymore you used to a lot in cleveland and if you've noticed for like the last two years nothing pretty much yeah. a blackout in general um i'm not saying that's the only way to go but this current iteration of jacksonville undershad Khan and and all the decisions kind of feels like it was coughlin and now it's meyer and <laughs> talk about two ends of the spectrum um (laughs) you know You it feels like they're gonna have to reassess step back go "Mm, what do we have here are we okay on the gm side seems like there's a bunch of talent on that team how do we match a coaching staff to again that gm staff and get somebody in here quick that can develop a player that i think is generally agreed to be extremely talented in trevor lawrence
0: I can tell you this much just based on stories that I've heard. I bet there was more people that told Mr. Khan not to hire Urban than mm. people that told him to hire Urban.
1: Yeah. And they
0: still hired Urban.
1: Uh-huh. So, well, sometimes the you want to make goes. a splash. Uh, they yeah, made that's a, exactly what it is. They made exactly a splash. Not not a good one, but they made one. <laughs> uh, three
0: down number two. We were just singing their praises and right on Q in bootleg fashion uh the denver broncos laid an egg against kc it was not pretty teddy had um one of his more underwhelming days as a bronco i would say 22 of 40 for 257 one touchdown two picks javante williams was their entire offense with 29 touches for a buck 78 and a touchdown I don't think there's any doubt at this point that he's the RB one by a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, it pro- they probably should have gotten to this ratio a little bit earlier in my opinion, but Hey, better late than never. Hopefully he gets 20 plus touches a game for the rest of the way here. Cause usually when he gets that many touches, good things happen. He's a phenomenal young running back. Um, the, the first, interception from Teddy. The second one was deflected, the pick six from Sorensen that kind of put the thing away. I I understand people might not attribute that to Teddy. The first one, when they're down by 10 and they really need a drive to keep pace here, I will put on Teddy because I have no idea what he was looking at. (laughs) It's a fire zone call. They're running curls. I mean, they only got three guys out in the route. So you got a lurker in the middle, standard fire zone stuff. They're only going to cover as many people as you release. So if you don't give a guy to cover, he's just going to sit there and rob you. He literally looked at him. He stared him in the face and still threw it anyway. And I have no explanation for that pick. It was inexcusable. It was reckless. It was everything that Teddy Bridgewater is supposed to not be. He's supposed to be the guy that, you know, protects the football and doesn't throw bad picks and puts you in position to win the game unfortunately in games like this one where he does throw the bad picks he's not good enough to dig himself out of those holes like say a Justin Herbert or a Pat Mahomes and so you're just kind of left with games like this where you feel like your margin of error is so small where if Teddy doesn't have a mistake-free game you're not gonna win and it it makes me think that yes the roster is great, but how much can you count on teddy to play mistake free literally every single week just to give yourself a chance to not blow a game it's a very very small margin for error and uh you know when it comes to a very close afc where there's like 10 teams vying for wild card spots here um i do think that 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 puts them at a considerable disadvantage against you know some other teams that i think are in the hunt
1: They would have to get hot for it to work. And Teddy had one of those games you could see. I'm not a big body language guy. I don't buy into that because people have very different body language. Herbert got bashed for having way too passive a body language in the draft process. He's fine. Um, And I think (laughs) Teddy's fine, too, in general. But you could see he was frustrated, right? It just it was one of those games where you're trying really hard and it's not going your way. And that happens for all of us in our in our day jobs. We can all relate, right? I'm trying to do all the right things, and it's just a Monday. It's not happening for me. Um, and, you know, first pick, bad. Second pick, I'm not going to put on him. But I also want to flip this a little bit and go back. I'm going to read you the opposing scores for the Kansas City against the Kansas City defense for the last six weeks. Starting, mm-hmm. starting well, we'll go five weeks, right? So we'll go back to the Giants game, 17 points. Packers, ooh, good offense. Seven points. Oh, Raiders. Jordan Love, but still. <laughs> yeah, Jordan Love, but still. He, he, I mean, they didn't start Jordan Love. They they played who they had on the field. They gave up one touchdown. Raiders, good offense. 14. Cowboys, really good offense. Nine. Broncos, nine. So if we go back five weeks, it's nine going backwards from the Chiefs backwards. Nine, nine, fourteen, seven, seventeen. Like we can say the Chiefs defense has turned a corner. They figured it out. They moved Chris Jones back inside. They got a him on the outside. They are full of themselves again. They believe. And they are taking good teams. There's some good teams in that stretch and keeping them largely under two touchdowns and that's a recipe for winning so this is as much teddy bridgewater having a bit of a monday as it is running into a chiefs team that's hitting in stride players are playing the way they're supposed to they're making plays um and it's difficult and i do feel like the broncos really had something else in mind and a lot of people have said aaron Rodgers. a lot of people have said you know they they were really the team behind that gold rush that had been waiting for Rodgers to get freed up It was the Niners that made the offer on draft morning, but it was really the Broncos and George Payton lurking going, if we get Rodgers, this thing's going off and they didn't get him and it finally settled down and Aaron ends up back in green Bay. And I feel like they just said, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to go out of our way at this point and throw a bunch more money at a quarterback. We're just going to ride with Teddy and Drew. And this, we're going to make it through this year. We're going to win as many games as we can. And then we're going to take another run because we think he's coming free or we'll take another draft pick. And they've taken a ton of heat from us as well for not drafting Justin Fields, right? I really feel like they had something in their pocket. It didn't work out. And they said, well, we're just going to ride with what we've got. And Teddy's what we've got. And we hope we're good enough with all the talent we brought on to win those games. But I don't think it was really ever their first option. Of course, they're going to say it was because that's what teams say. Um, I think they were hoping Teddy was largely what Teddy's been, which is good, efficient, uh, serviceable, fairly durable. And he was going to be in there dealing and they hope that all their playmakers were going to take off. And they're just biding their time to really bring in the trigger puller to what is a pretty loaded team on both sides of the ball and see if they can't take their shot.
0: It's what happened last time they got good. They brought in a Hall of Fame huh. elderly quarterback on a loaded team and uh, they won a Super Bowl and went to another. We won't talk about yeah. the result of that other one, but
1: you know, it's, it's, but it's Joe it's Buck not will, a, uh, a <laughs> Joe, oh
0: God, that was awesome.
1: <laughs> that was a dagger. I, I'm not a huge Joe Buck fan. I'm not a Joe Buck hater, but I'm not a huge Joe Buck fan. Like I, I'm, I Joe Buck. I acknowledge that he's incredibly talented, but he was on the Manning cast. What we're referring to is Peyton lobbed up. What was kind of a softball question and, and Joe Buck uh, threw a dagger and, and you put out a great tweet about, yeah, he's laughing on the outside, but he's planning to have his break lines cut. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's Peyton. All right. Um, Anyways, go look it up. It was a lot of fun. Um, But yeah, back to the Broncos. They feel like the rest of the roster they've done really well with, like, the o-line is decent the d-line we talked about some unsung heroes on the d-line chubb is coming back and getting healthy uh the linebackers are playing great cooper's playing great as a seventh rounder obviously their corner room is loaded they've got great safeties all the players and the track meet offense that they've assembled it really feels like this is a team that is primed i mean he's got javante to lean on whoever comes in um you know Fant hasn't been getting a lot of usage this year but he's fast as hell another option in the passing game they really feel like they're a good solid slightly above average trigger puller away from being tough to stop every week
0: let's get to uh three down number 3 which is <laughs> whatever the hell just happened on monday night in uh gale force winds out in buffalo It's like gusts up to 55 miles an hour, if I remember correctly. Uh, You know, you're seeing pregame videos of kicker warm-ups where the ball literally just grabbed by the wind and thrown off camera. Opening kickoff is hitting halfway into the tunnel because the winds are so strong. It was a weird game. I don't necessarily think that there's a lot of great takes that you can get from that kind of game where a team throws it three times and they still win. There's not a whole lot you can take from it. I'm not going to say, like, oh, the Patriots are going to win uh, a, a Super Bowl indoors in an L.A. winter because they can also play in Buffalo in the winter. Like the, That game doesn't really translate to anything other than the fact of, yeah, Patriots can run the ball and, you know, Bill Belichick can coach his ass off. What else is new? We didn't really learn anything from it. But I do want to bring something up. In the post-game press conference, there was a writer who I shall not name because I don't want to give him any more press than he needs. He posed a question to Jordan Poyer and uh, and Micah Hyde, and he listed off nobody's uh, you know ran the ball 46 times in a win in such and such years, a couple decades or something like that. And he said, "Are you embarrassed by that?" Which is such a horseshit way. <laughs> to frame that question, mm-hmm. because he only phrased it to get the reaction that he got, which was Poyer and Hyde getting pissed at, at at how it was phrased. Because when you look at the numbers, why should they be embarrassed? They gave up 14 points. You know, the the Patriots popped a few good runs. They got 40% of their production on three runs out of 46 The rest of the night, they did pretty well. They held them to, like, less than four yards of carry. You know, there's that one drive that was, you know, going viral on Twitter where they ran G lead out of jumbo over and over again, and they they put together a good drive on that. But on the whole, for the entire night, they did pretty well against the run. There was nothing to be embarrassed about. And as far as I'm concerned, 14 points is 14 points. And if you want to put anything, uh, you know, from the Buffalo side of things on blast for losing this game. Why don't you look at the offense who again in like 75% of hurricane force wins. It's pretty damn close to hurricane force wins. Your run pass split is 55% pass. Like I don't care that your quarterback has arguably the strongest arm in the league. You don't throw it 55% of the times in that weather. And, you know, you you had the turnover and you had a missed field goal and they're making mistakes and game management issues with McDermott and refusing to use Allen, who's like 240 pounds in the run game. Like their game plan was shit. And so they put up 10 points as a result of that. But this offense is fully capable of putting up way more than 10. And yet it's somehow the defense's fault that they lost that game. They did their job. I'm sorry, the Buffalo Bills with an MVP caliber quarterback and, you know, a golden child offensive coordinator that was getting looks for head coach all offseason. And, you know, a coach of the year candidate every single year in McDermott and a great defense like they should be able to put up enough points to win that game. And the fact that they didn't put up enough points to overcome 14 when the Patriots throw three times. Yeah, if you want to blame anybody for that game, blame the offense. Don't blame Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. And certainly don't say that they should be embarrassed when they gave up, like, three big runs the entire night on 46 carries. It's bad journalism. It's a shitty question. And uh, that writer in question, uh, that kind of stuff, that kind of disingenuous uh use of media access is exactly why podcasts like this one and exactly why YouTube is taking over sports media because assholes like that think that they're a lot more important to the fabric of covering the sport than they are. And they think they can just ask questions like that to get a rise out of people when they don't realize that if it weren't for these players that are giving them the time after every single game, they wouldn't have a job. So, earth to local beat writers the players don't need you to do their job you need them so please be a little bit more respectful with your questions in the future and don't ask them if they should be embarrassed for giving up three big runs in a fucking hurricane force wins like it's anyway rant over i just i hate when old head media does stupid shit because it just reinforces the point of why media needs to change
1: yeah. Robert Klemko, who used to write for MMQB, and uh, currently I think writes for the Washington Post, said the only reason a reporter brings that question to a press conference is to draw attention to themselves. Yes. The only reason you phrase it in that way, are you embarrassed? Was this, em, do you consider this embarrassing? Right. Which is an affront. And, you know, it's a it's a rant as old as time or a, you know, a trope as old as time. You know, the NFL is all about respect. Coaches talk about respect. Players talk about respect, lack of respect, bulletin board material, all that. Like respect is a currency. You see it on the field. Guys going at each other. They're guys going at each other in this game. The Patriots after the play and on the ground in this game were borderline dirty. They were holding people down. They were roughing people up after the play. They wanted to be bullies. And, The Buffalo players wanted to stand up and be respected, right? And there were a lot of face mask to face mask confrontations, guys keeping their hands down so they didn't get ejected. Respect is a currency in this game. It's no different in a press conference when you come in and you see these guys every week and it is a give and take. And I think beat writers, a lot of beat writers do understand this, especially the good ones that this is a give and a take. And that is a tough balance. It is a tough job to say, hey, I need to be able to ask tough questions, but I also don't want to lose access. Well, if you ask asshole questions, players will clam up and tell you nothing. They will give you the bull Durham every time and your column will have sawdust as a foundation. You will have nothing, right? They'll be like, just looking forward to the next game. We're going to play them all hard. You know, really just got to buckle down and get back to fundamentals. And you're going to ask them another question. They're going to say, just looking forward to the next game. Really just got to buckle (laughs) down and get back to fundamentals. And your column is going to suck. You're just going to have to make it up and guess. And we've seen regimes like that, that don't allow their coaches in front of the media. Don't allow assistant coaches in front of the media, limit player access, tell their players not to say anything. If you do this to players, if you set them up for what is grandstanding for your own self aggrandizement right to to just bring the spotlight onto you to get that reaction if you frame what can be a respectful question about run defense in a way such as this and then double down by taking shots at them after they get up and walk out rightfully so right if you're throwing eggs as they're leaving You're not going to have anything and it's not going to go well. So this was framed. Don't uh, don't get it twisted. This was framed this way on purpose. The writer got what he wanted, which was not an answer to the question. He didn't care about an answer to the question. He wanted a reaction. He got a reaction. He got a rise. It's no different than a bully in first grade that calls you a name that they know you don't like. And if you turn to them and say, yeah, and. They're gonna stop calling it. But if you freak out and throw a ruler at them and the teacher rightfully puts you in the corner, they won. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's all this is. Like, don't try and overcomplicate it. Don't don't flip it. Don't need to. It was asked this way to get a rise. He got it and he laughed his way all the way home because people have his name in print today, and you know, no such thing as bad press, blah, 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 blah.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious to see what happens to his access going forward, because if that's what you're bringing to the table as a beat writer, they don't need you. Sorry. They just don't. Um, Three interesting number one. mania is back on the menu. Uh, Had a fantastic game uh, starting uh, with Jalen Hurts injured. I Can't remember exactly what Hurts' injury was off the top of my head, but... He was down for this game, so Minshew, as uh, the ever-reliable... Can you call him a veteran at this point? Eh, I guess he's been in the league long enough, right? Veteran backup. He had a Gardner-Minshew-type game. Fuck it and chuck it. You know, sit there under pressure. Throw good balls deep down the field to Dallas Goddard. Let his catch radius go do something with it. Got a couple touchdowns, 100 yards. He played like Gardner-Minshew, which is aggressive. Sometimes to a fault, but he mostly got away with it in this game. He was rewarded for his aggressiveness. We'll see how long that lasts if he has to start any more games, because traditionally the gardner Minshew train is fun, but boy, it can go off the rails really quick when those deep shots don't work. But at least for this game, it worked against a very beleaguered Jets defense. Uh, Eagles fans had some fun. Uh, with the pass game for once this season, and uh, it's just entertaining. Like I love when Gardner Minshew has success because he's uh, he's an easy guy to root for. You know, the video of him and his dad celebrating after the game was awesome. You know, he just he has an energy that uh, that I think it's very easy to root for. And uh, as long as he's in the league,
1: uh, I'm gonna be a fan. Yeah, this very much matches his start last year in Jacksonville. He came out his first game. For Jacksonville last year. Um, it was our first full year of covering recaps for Bootleg. And I remember watching that game and not thinking a whole lot of it and coming away and going, Holy crap, Gardner Minshew had a great game. And if you don't believe me, go back and watch it. Week one, 2020, Gardner Minshew came out and lit it up. He played a great game in week one. And that is the beginning of the Gardner Minshew experiment. And It is based on his mindset that he's had since Wazoo, under Mike Leach, and he has continued it in the pros, which is, I will challenge you with these throws. If you're in one-on-one coverage, I don't care. It's coming, right? And I'm going to trust you to make a play. And the receivers, uh, Dallas Goddard, notably this week, love that stuff, right? This guy's going to chuck it to me even when I'm covered. I get to go make a play. I get to go prove it. Goddard comes away with over 100 yards and two tds and he was fired up he was like this is great and that's the way it starts and then they get some tape they start taking away those deep shots limiting them and challenging gardner Minshew, baiting gardner Minshew to throw him and he will continue to do it he is not a guy that typically adjusts down right he will not take the dump off and that results in turnovers as it goes and then stalled drives and lack of effectiveness and eventually everybody goes oh this is what he is but for week one it is great fireworks and a lot of fun and eagles fans got to have that this week and i'm psyched about that for what it's worth uh week one last year you know what a stat line was it was immense i didn't chart the game but i remember being done i like stopped when i was done and i you know me last year i watched every game i didn't have a lot of time to stop i literally like sat down my little controller and I was like, did I, did he like, it was so good. It was great.
0: 19 of 20,
1: 95% completion percentage, three touchdowns. Yeah. He was great. He was dialed. He hit everything. And it was just like, I, I, I look, he went to Wazoo. I watched him get hot and beat some good teams. You know, there was a reason that he was a draftable commodity, But, like, you don't necessarily think that's going to translate to the pros. And he wasn't highly drafted, certainly. And he wasn't necessarily drafted to be a starter. And here he comes out in week one and literally blows the doors off. Like, he was damn near perfect. And I was just like, did something happen? (laughs) (laughs) Did did they swap him out? Because that was a great game. Super dialed. And then it just gradually faded to midseason when he got replaced. Um, Yeah, that's the gig.
0: Three interesting number two. We got a playoff picture update, which I feel like we're going to end up doing this every single week and uh, until till week eighteen because it changes every single week. Here's where we stand right now. So Patriots, surprise surprise, are the number one seed in the AFC after a one year break from dominance. They're right back at the top of the mountain. Same week, Alabama jumps up to number one, right back at the top of the mountain after all of this, uh, you know, angst and discourse all year. What's old is new again. We're right back to where we were. Um, Titans are still the two seed at eight and four, and we'll see what happens if and when they get Derrick Henry back because that's probably the engine of their team. I am curious to see how long they hold on to that eight and four as long as they're as banged up as they are. But a healthy Titans team is certainly a very dangerous Titans team. Uh, You got the Ravens also at eight and four who I'm still not entirely sure what they are. They are also a very banged up team just lost Marlon Humphrey probably for the year with a shoulder injury it's going to be a huge loss for them so we'll see how long they hang in that third seed the chiefs are the uh the four seed right now just on an absolute heater they've really come on strong you know kind of midway through the season here the offense is still not quite where it needs to be but I think the resurgence of the defense has pushed them into uh certainly being contenders here they're also at eight and four. And then you have a, a pack of seven and five teams. You got the Chargers at the five seed, the Bengals at the six seed, and the Bills at the seven seed, holding on for dear life. And then behind them on the bubble, you've got the Steelers at six five and one. Eh, we'll see. You know they they've got their own eh. issues. And then you got the Colts uh, right behind them at seven and six. And then you got a, a pack of six win tim excuse me six win teams. With the Raiders at six and six, the Browns at six and six, the Broncos at six and six, and the Dolphins at six and seven. Out of all of those bubble teams in the AFC, I would say the Dolphins and the Colts are probably the most impressive to me. You know, the Dolphins have kind of found their uh, Belichickian type format of hey, just play efficient on offense, don't turn it over, don't make mistakes, play good defense, play good special teams and you know we'll we'll let a uh we'll, we'll let that kind of run its course and usually if you play mistake-free football and good defense you're going to win and they've won 5 in a row with that formula and the Colts i mean you know they they hung tight with the bucks till the very end they have uh certainly a lot of potential on offense especially when Jonathan Taylor gets going the run game is awesome carson Wentz for most of the year has been very capable i think he's having a pretty nice bounce back this year michael Pittman i think is a star in the defense i think also has a very high ceiling as well. So out of all the bubble teams, I would say Colts and Dolphins have the best chance to make the playoffs. The hard part is who are you going to kick out between mm. Chargers, Bengals, and Bills? That's tough for me, and
1: i i don't I don't know the answer to that. I wouldn't bet on any three of those teams fading, but the NFL is incredibly fickle. You know, Joe Burrow turns an ankle, like. Anything's possible. Uh the Bengals team's pretty well constructed, but Burrow is really the engine that drives that offense. And, you know, look, strange things happen. Right now, I wouldn't put the Broncos as sort of contending because it does feel like the Colts have a more solid foundation and the Dolphins right now are again more in their bag within their scheme, making it work and and just sort of feeling it. But Look, you know, same thing. Teddy could twist an ankle and Drew Locke come off the bench and hit some magical Joe Flacco, you know, hot streak at the end and start hucking balls up to Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. And all of a sudden, the Broncos pick off a couple of games that they shouldn't. Like, those are the kind of swings. And it's incredibly tight. The races on both sides are a couple of games. I saw the number of teams that were within two games of a first seed within their division. And it's like half the freaking league. You're looking at in the hunt lists that have six teams on them at this point, at this point, we're 13 weeks into the season. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So right now I'm with your logic that those teams are going to be hard to kick out. Who knows what's going to happen every week. We've said, this is the team. Like that team has literally flipped the next week. We said about the chargers two weeks ago, the Chargers had a down week. They bounce back this week. We said it about the Broncos two weeks ago. They come back against the Chiefs and go. Boof. So, <laughs> and it's just, it's happened that way all year long. That flip, you know, the, I saw the NFL circle of parody <laughs> this week. It's now you... complete with the Lions it's, winning. It is amazing. And, you know that's what the league wants is these tough competitive races that go deep into the season keeps more fans engaged longer look if your team had two wins at this point you you probably if you got a tough game against an opponent you know you're gonna get blown out and you get a good offer to do whatever you want to do on sunday you're probably gonna take it but if your team is like legit on the bubble forcing for a wild card spot you probably going to watch. So nothing is settled. We'll talk about it in games to watch at the end of the podcast that um you know, there are some deciders coming up next week that that may make a few of those more clear. Uh but as of right now, there's a lot still on the table and I'm I'm not laying any folding money on on odds for who's going to get there cuz as soon as I do, I'm going to be wrong.
0: Well, let me ask you this on the NFC side, you know, it, this one has felt a little bit more set in stone for a while now. You know, Cardinals and, and Packers are one and two, and those could easily flip back and forth. We'll see. Buccaneers at three are lurking. They can make a late push, but again, it's it's tough for me to knock either of those top two teams off right now. Uh, Cardinals, or not Cardinals, Cowboys at eight and four had a little bit of a tough stretch. They had some injuries. You know, Tyron was down. CD was down. Amari was down. Gallup just came back when the other guys went down and, you know, Zeke's been banged up like they, they, the defense had guys missing. They've had a lot of injuries, but they're still eight and four. I don't know if they're going to be able to make up two games on Arizona to get a bye. but I also do not want to play a healthy Cowboys team in the playoff because they, they might be the most talented team of the bunch. The Rams at the fifth seed kind of slipped, but still when they get going, they're tough to stop. Washington's, um, you know, making a little bit of a push here. They're six and six at the six seed, and then the 49ers, after falling this week, are also now six and six at a seven seed, hanging on for dear life. When you look at all the teams in the bubble, though, I think it's a lot different than the AFC because you got the Eagles at six and seven that are pushing the six and seven seeds right now, and then you got this group of five and seven teams, you know, Vikings, Panthers, Falcons, Saints. I don't know if I see any of them making the postseason. I think the only one in the bubble that has a shot is Philly. I just, I don't know if I can make an argument for any other ones for a myriad of reasons. Do you see anybody in that five and seven group, which is again, Vikings, Panthers, Falcons, saints. Do you see any of them making a push?
1: I don't. And there's, we'll have a, uh, this is just one of those weird things. If I told you that the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Saints, all NFC South teams, were all going to be 5 and 7, two games under 500 at this point of the year, 13 weeks in, would you have believed me? Like I don't think I would have believed it for the Panthers, we were both high on the Panthers. Falcons, we might have gone, well, Arthur Smith's program might have taken a while to get going. 5 and 7 seems reasonable. Saints at 5 and 7 even with the quarterback issues, Sean Payton typically churns out at least 500 teams and it's surprising that all three of them are there but i like all three of those teams have significant flaws like and we just talked about the vikings like uh, i'm not (laughs) not gonna get behind the vikings they can beat anybody on a given week but they will play down to you know a four win team the next and that's just very minnesota at this point so i'm not i'm not holding out hope for any of them From that group, the five and seven group, to make a push. Eagles feel like they have a little bit of surge and you know it just puts a ton of pressure on game. We'll just presage it a little bit. You know, the game coming up this week, Cowboys and Washington football team, right? Cowboys closest competition is Washington football team in that division. If the Cowboys win, it's basically like two wins. It's a win in division. It's their nearest rival. They put basically a game, game and a half on them, almost two at this point of the season because there's not a lot of makeup time left. That could be a separator game where it's like, okay, Cowboys are, because they're kind of, we feel like they're in control, but they could clearly be in control at that point. That's one of those decider games where it's going to cause a little bit of separation. The five and sevens, they'd all, look, the NFC is way down. That's the only thing giving them a chance. If any of those teams is in the AFC, they'd basically almost already be eliminated. They all of them have to make a big run and they'd be sneaking in. And would they go anywhere in the postseason? I think is a bigger question. And my answer is right now. No, I don't see any of those teams winning a playoff game right now. Uh,
0: three interesting number three. Speaking of those uh, NFC teams, I I didn't even include them on in the bubble because let's be honest, they're not making it um, the New York Giants can you believe it, have as many touchdowns as a team as just Jonathan Taylor. They are tied for last in the league at one and a half touchdowns a game, the exact same rate as Jonathan Taylor. Can you you fathom how bad you need to be on offense to be tied with the Houston Texans and also an individual running back?
1: i can i'm sorry for giants fans we know many um and their team is not great right now and when it was nfl memes i think put this up on twitter this week i latched onto it and sent it to you and i was like oh man like when you put it like that bob that sounds terrible uh it is it's terrible like jonathan taylor is having a great season nothing Nothing against Jonathan Taylor from this particular stat. But again, as an overall team, if you are matching the touchdown total of a single running back, uh, you got a lot of issues. So, no, they're, the Giants are not making the playoffs. It is a dismal offensive showing. They do have more talent than this. That's the other sort of confounding, difficult thing about this particular situation is they could have scored more points than this i'm not going to say easily but they absolutely could have and to be at this point 13 weeks in have 18 touchdowns and then see it matched up like that there's just a lot of things that got posted this week that made me go oh ri- really when you put it like that that seems terrible And this was this was tops among them because it is terrible because <laughs> it is terrible yep
0: uh all right and with that little note i want to get to the bootleg shot of the week we have well first of all i want to do a little mea culpa i forgot to put the poll in last week's comments on youtube but there were still some enterprising uh bootleggers out there that still voted anyway in individual comments so i went through and added those up and so we still have a winner oh elite corks down there from casadoras But I want to apologize for completely forgetting to put the options. (laughs) I was leaving for Charlotte for the airport and just totally spaced on that, so I apologize. But I will have the options in a pinned comment in this episode so you can watch all these hits this week and then go properly vote. Properly uh, vote. We like that. The results of last week's kind of janky-ass vote from all you bootleggers out there was Darren Hall, rookie quarterback for the Falcons. Just absolutely blowing up a screen from Lavisca Chenault in that Jags game last week, or two weeks ago. However, you want to phrase it. Yep, phenomenal read, great play, shot out of a cannon, and uh, you know, really put a put a hurting on Lavisca's rib cage. There, (laughs) it was great, great play, and uh, you know, kind of our our weekly
1: uh, screen blower upper that we seem to get on this countdown. And we got to give credit where credit's due. This one actually came from a fan, from a bootleg fan who who tagged us both on twitter and said hey not getting not getting a ton of love down here in atlanta like i think this one qualifies for shot of the week nominee uh couldn't agree more and it ends up winning so you said you got casadoras which variety
0: uh i got the reposado i don't think i have the blanco anymore i think i finished that
1: okay well i found something at the liquor store that i was pretty excited about on two fronts uh one tester bottles Oh, look at that. Yeah, it's like midsize. I thought this is great because sometimes you get a single and look, you're just not in the mood for whatever it is when you try it or it's just not enough. Um, So they have a whole section. It's like the travel section at a drugstore when you're looking for travel sizes, except it's liquor, which I was really excited about. So I grabbed this grain stone. I think it was 18 bucks for this little midsize bottle. This is Highland single malt scotch whiskey uh bourbon cask finished double maturation first stage second stage um so i grabbed it it's 18 bucks and that's going to be my shot of the week so um, pretty excited to be able to try stuff and not be totally locked into a bottle that i might not like um but have enough if i do like it to make you know a couple of drinks or have some straight some mixed whatever so i thought that was awesome
0: well darren hall your hit was also awesome one of the best defensive plays of the entire week and also one of the most entertaining ones too. So cheers to you and uh, down the hatch. <sighs>
1: mm. Oh, you would Mm-mm-mm. love this stuff. It's it's a little bit smoky. I because, saw your
0: eyes twitch a little bit. <laughs> oh, it's a
1: little bit smoky, but it's got a sweetness and a smoothness. Um, not a ton of warmth. Definitely that that Scotch start to it, right? That. I won't say Petey because it's not Petey. You know me. I'm not a huge peak guy. But that bourbon cask finish, man. The undertone. Really, yeah. It really rounds it out nicely. Like It's it's pretty solid stuff. So if you get a chance, Grainstone Island Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. Good stuff.
0: Okay. I'll, next time I hit Bedmo, which I think is tomorrow because i got to pick up stuff for the Film Room episode. Ba, ba, uh, ba, by the way, I'm making a uh, Seattle-themed
1: Manhattan called the 12th oh. Manhattan i've seen it but did you see my response you may not have because you were traveling no what was it oh you said you needed to use woodenville and i said you can get closer (laughs) because oh right there's like a a seahawks whiskey right the 12th batch it's yeah it's it's who makes it uh it's uh by a distillery right over in gig harbor i just actually walked by it the other day um went and had breakfast in gig harbor and um yeah, so they make a. I've had it. Um, I actually prefer the Woodenville just as a spirit, but um, yeah, it is a twelves uh, themed uh, bourbon from, uh, and of course, I'm forgetting the name of the distillery right over in Gig Harbor. But yeah, I was like, you can get closer if you're making a twelve themed cocktail. Uh, I'll
0: have to. I'll have to see if they deliver because I know Washington distilleries are kind of finicky about that. Uh, yes. Nominees for this week, number one, we got nasir Adderley and derwin james combining to uh just smash joe burrow and i love this play specifically because of derwin james and the move he puts on the running back i mean he looks like joey bosa doing the up and under move that he that he does every single week like it's his plant and go is ridiculous like that would work on a tackle <laughs> with how explosive and quick he is. And, and of course, you know, Adderley coming from the other side, just completely demolishing, bro. Fantastic rep from both of them. Uh, option number 2 we got Brashad Breland forcing a fumble. Not the biggest hit ever, but I think the impact in the game is notable because that was a very, very close game. Just kind of coming off the edge. It's Jamal Williams, I think, right? Who, who, who he hit uh, and forced the fumble on. Just didn't even see him coming. Huge, huge play in that game. Uh, Option three, we got Quinn Miner. Miners, wow. This is a guy that we talked about over and over again, and I just fucked up his name. Apologies, Quinn. But Quinn Miners, as a pulling guard, blowing up three Chiefs in the process for a long run, took Melvin Ingram for a ride, which, by the way, whoever decided to give an edge rusher 24 as a number, you should be ashamed of yourself. That is not an edge rusher number. And that needs to be changed immediately because the aesthetic is terrible. <laughs> and I'm glad that Quinn Miners bulldozed you just for that reason alone. And then number four, we got Justin Herbert, the rare quarterback sighting on bootleg shot of the week, uh, joining his fellow Chargers teammates. There was a, a fumble return from Jesse Bates, went like 40-something yards and it's funny when you look at the TV copy and you look at the end zone copy; uh, they look very different. The end zone copy like really shows like how good of a hit it was, and you know how far he kind of blasted Bates out of bounds. But on the on the broadcast copy, I actually thought it was pretty funny because you just see Bates running; he's holding the ball out, looks like he's going to score easily, and then all of a sudden the camera gets a little bit wider, and you see this like six foot six fucking gazelle of a human being running him down and wrapping him up like he's Anthony Barr. I thought it was hilarious. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, if Justin Herbert wanted to play linebacker, you tackle like that, he could probably make it work.
1: Probably. Uh, One thing I learned uh, when we were talking about Justin Herbert two weeks ago from the YouTube comments, because, you know, you can learn things from YouTube comments. Usually they're not good things. But uh, (laughs) what I learned from the YouTube comments is, a lot of people care about how tall Justin Herbert is. We took I think we said six five and everyone's. Like, hey, right. <laughs> people were like, I can't believe you said he was 6'5. And I was like, why? And they're like, cause he's 6'6. Six, six. And I was like, okay. Like, I just. I had no idea that people were so invested, but it was many people. Um, so I guess people really care about that, that last inch on Justin Herbert, but uh, the Breland one's a small Hey-o. hit. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was coming. I just, yeah. Hey-o. Serve, Serve <laughs> that one up. Just keep serving it up. Oh, Go ahead. <laughs> I
0: I can't nope. with you. It's, it's been a long show. I, I'm going to have to cut so much out of this
1: episode. <laughs> I know. It's so good. Oh, so the Rashad Breeland hit, not a huge hit, but man, the sound and the impact. Like it's one of those hits where the defender hits whoever he was hitting on offense and just kind of stands there like he didn't move and there was a. Big smack ends up forcing a fumble. So it's not visually like the biggest hit people, you know, bodies aren't flying all over the place, but just listening to the broadcast audio is like, Oh, what happened there? Okay. Rewind. Oh man, man. He just kind of stood there and dropped him. And the Adderley and Derwin James action on the scissor is crazy. So you see one safety come flying in off the edge and Burrow sidesteps him and thinks that he's won and the other one's right there to finish it off with force and i thought oh man that's just a no-win situation because look eh, people don't want to say it but nasir Adderley is just about as good as derwin james like the difference is not huge they both make a ton of plays and i think you know derwin james name recognition and you know, massive skill set. Certainly, the the draft cap to go with it. Nasir Adderley is a very good safety. And when you have both of those guys bearing down on you, one of whom you don't see, I felt for Joe Burrow. <laughs> I was like, that is a no in situation. You dodge one, which is your job, and the other one just cleans your house. So um, good list. Uh, we've got our offensive lineman in there. We do not have our screen getting blown up you know, we we will skip a week. It's okay. We'll, we'll take a break, but good lineup of hits for the week that moves us into our watch list for next week. We talked about these, the deciding matchups for divisional play, right? And the last one isn't a deciding matchup for divisional play. It's just two good teams going at it. So that's always going to make our list, but Raiders chiefs, this is kind of the last gasp for the Raiders. It's in division. The chiefs can put a bit of a divisional choke hold on at this point if the raiders don't win this game and sort of bring the chiefs back to earth in division that's pretty much it the chiefs are not mathematically speaking going to wrap up the division but it's going to be very very difficult for anybody to catch them cowboys washington football team same deal as raiders chiefs again we're pretty sure the cowboys are going to take this division it's two games right now if they win this particular game in division it's like another two games and that's going to be pretty much an insurmountable lead with the time left in the season rams cardinals same thing nfc west battle we really think the cardinals are probably going to win this game this is the monday night game the whole country is going to be watching this one and if the rams don't take a piece out of the cardinals and upset them here they're not probably going to be able to claw back. They can still get themselves to a wild card. They have a good record. But if the Cardinals sew this one up again, it's kind of like a game and a half lead over their closest competition division. It's a bit of a ceiling moment. So we'll have some clarity after this week, if nothing else. And the last one's Bills Bucks. Look, these were two teams that were preseason Super Bowl favorites on a bit of a different trajectory at the moment bills are stumbling a bit bucks are still rolling, but it's a really good matchup of two teams. It's at the bucks place. So the weather shouldn't be anything like it was in Buffalo for the Monday night game. Um, And we kind of get to see how the bills bounce back, play in decent weather and go against look, one of the best ever in Tom Brady. And what is a very good defense is getting a few players back should just be a really quality matchup.
0: I honestly, as the season comes to a close and we're getting all of these these I guess you can call them like high-leverage games, like games that matter a lot for seeding. The fact that all of these non-traditional powers have chances to play themselves into the postseason is the best thing to happen to this sport in a while. Like again, I'm looking at the playoff picture. There's a realistic chance that the that the AFC Other than, you know, the traditional, you know, Patriots, the Ravens, the Chiefs, all that kind of stuff. There's a realistic chance that we're getting the Chargers, we're getting the Bengals, we're getting, you know, the Dolphins all in the same playoffs. Like, that's entertaining to me. It's like, get all these fan bases that are starving, starving for playoff relevancy. Get them into the postseason, you know. Throw them into the meat grinder with, uh, with the traditional powers, and I think all of them have a shot because the AFC is a lot closer than people think. It's the best thing to happen in the NFL in a while, as you mentioned earlier. It, it makes the season as a whole super entertaining, not just for them, but for people like you and me that cover the entire league. We don't just have to talk about the same teams every single week. Like we let off the show parody. with the Lions. <laughs> I know. We might not get to do that again until next year, but hey, we took our opportunity. We took our shot. Shoot or shoot. Uh, so, before we uh, get out of here, what do you got coming on Bears Over Beers? Because I know
1: it's a big week for you. It's not. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would love to say it's a big week. It's Packers week. Uh, we pretty much know how that's going to go. Um, we've been having some fun on Bears Over Beers in terms of... Uh, not telling people how to fan because we don't believe in that, but telling people how to watch, like, what should you watch for? This is fairly, fairly a lost season for the bears. Matt Nagy, almost sure to be fired. Ryan pace sort of hangs in the balance. You're really looking for development and, and whatever you enjoy. Um, you know, last week it was David Montgomery. Like they weren't going to beat the Cardinals. David Montgomery played a hell of a game. Like David Montgomery is a really good football player and there was some subtle undertext of like hey larry borum is turning into a really good run blocking right tackle he might have the highest disparity between run blocking and pass blocking of almost anybody in the league like he is a very quality run blocker right now one of the best on the bears line pass blocking a bit more of an adventure but as a fifth round rookie that's okay that's the way to put it (laughs) there are Things to look for. Maybe Tevin Jenkins gets some reps. Robert Quinn is having a great season on a bad team. Just every week making impact without Khalil Mack in the lineup. So there are things to watch for. Roquan Smith has been playing really, really well. You know, but if you're going to get frustrated, like go ahead, turn it off. That's that's pretty much what we've been encouraging people to do because it's it's all about Justin Fields' development. Should be coming back from the rib injury pretty soon. and it's about seeing what's left on this roster for whoever comes in next. So we don't have a guest this week. We've we've been doing guests all all year. And you know, it's Packers Week. We know it's not going to go that well. We're just going to talk about what to highlight on the Bears. Um, what do you got for film room coming up? You tease the Seahawks episode. Anything else on the docket?
0: So I'm still working on that Seahawks episode. I think that's coming out like Friday, maybe Saturday, because it's so like Monday uh well i'm i'm trying <laughs> to make it as evergreen as possible because it's more about the seahawks as a whole so if i have to delay it a couple of days because it is fucking meaty oh I'll, that was I'll that was my let joe you guys buck no that was my joe buck moment i just
1: i had to throw that out you,
0: just, there. you just take shots at me man you just take I, shots at me that's all i'm here for you're lucky you give me free booze <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's one kind of shot
0: right that's half the reason I bring you down to my house every now and then. It's like you know what, EJ's going to take me to Bevmo. He's going to make it up to me. EJ's gonna busting gonna my me. balls.
1: EJ's going to take me to Bevmo. There you go.
0: But um, yeah, so it's it's going to be a big big episode because there's a lot of context to give to I don't know everything and the Seahawks in traditional Seahawks fashion can't just be simple. They have to be complex and convoluted and fucking weird. So. It's going to be one of those kind of episodes. We'll see how long it takes me to get it out. I'm getting editing help on it, thankfully, so it'll come out sooner than it would be if it was just me working on it, but it's it's one of those shows, man. And then I got a Rams episode coming out after that one that's also going to be a wee bit of a monster. <laughs> so uh, it's it's going to be a big week or a big couple weeks for Film Room. Um, but other than that, I got nothing. So uh, why don't we get out of here? I want to thank uh consti i want to thank marat i want to thank caden as well that are also all in the bootleg hall of fame that's our 50 a month tier on patreon so you guys are our executive producers so to speak um could not do this without you guys really really thank you for the support uh remember we're gonna have that uh exclusive q a you know kind of bullshit session with our patrons I think it's coming up on January 8th is tentatively when it's scheduled for probably about noon Pacific time. That's going to be for everybody that's in the hall of fame tier, as well as everybody that's in the ring of honor tier, which is the tier below that. So if you're in those tiers, keep an eye out for that. We'll have information on Twitter. And of course we'll talk about it on the pod leading up to that. Uh, but yeah, with that being said, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with roughly the same time talking about all of the craziness of week 14, which I'm sure will not disappoint. So until then, see you guys later. Take care.